I'm Richard Dodd, and you're listening to the Ecology Academy podcast. This is a show where we get to talk and learn about all things ecological, including interviews with top ecologists, both employers and employees, those working with ecologists, and also aspiring and inspiring career-seeking individuals setting out to make a difference. The show aims to provide you with insights, advice, and inspiration to help you succeed and excel as an effective ecologist and to make a real difference to our natural environment. Today I'm speaking with Neil Davis, who is the consultancy manager at TR33 Limited, an environmental company that provides full tree, grounds, and estate maintenance services. Neil is passionate about trees and woodland and their function in both the built and natural environment. Drawing on 25 years in the industry, his aim is to provide pragmatic expert advice to the highest quality. He's keen on sharing knowledge and inspiring younger folk about the joys of nature, as seen from his many LinkedIn posts and YouTube videos. So, Neil, welcome to the Ecology Academy podcast. Thank you, Richard. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Excellent. I'm glad you're here too. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, you've had a, you've had a, you've had a little bit of trouble some morning this morning, haven't you? But I mean, not, well, I won't go into details. But um, you you're okay now. I'm fine now, thank you. Yeah, usual family stuff and dog stuff, but uh, yeah, uh, all, all ship shape now. Excellent, excellent. So um, now, if you've listened to any of our podcasts, which I'm sure you've listened to them all, Neil, but um, yeah, we like to start off the podcast with some innocent questions. No, there's no right or wrong answers. Just a little bit of an icebreaker to um, to get um, to get the sort of um, get the brain in gear, get those voice cords warmed up. So, um, are you ready with little uh, little preparation? Okay, yeah, let's give it a go. Okay, they're all very innocent questions. So, first of all, Neil, um, habitats, species, or ecosystems? Oh, I would go with ecosystems. Ecosystems, okay. And and if you chose an ecosystem, which ecosystem would you choose? I think if I was to pick my favourite, it's got to be a wet woodland, a nice older car or something like that. Naldicar, excellent. Okay, well, that may tap into my second question, which is favourite woodland. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, yeah, uh, an, an older car woodland. Um, yeah. Purely, there's just not that many of them. And uh, when you're wandering through them, they, they feel kind of primeval, as though you mm. go around the corner and see a, a dinosaur walking towards you, chewing on a, a clump of something. Wow. Uh, there's, there's something magical about a uh, uh, well-established wet woodland. Well, I should, I should never look at a, a wet woodland in the same way now. Uh, thanks for that. And um, good. okay, uh, third question, quite topical because we're now entering into a um, into a very grand phase of the year. So, um, Six Nations rugby, darts, Ooh. Winter Olympics, or no thanks, you can keep the sports yourself. Tricky because I'm, I'm I'm not much of a sports person at all. Um, but I've been Welsh. I think I would have to go with the Six Nations. The Six Nations, yeah. It starts yeah. that well as we're recording this. It starts very soon. In fact, I mean, it's not this weekend. It's the following weekend, isn't it? It's next. It's two weekends uh, to come. Yeah, I'm really. So I'm looking forward to that. I love yeah, the Six Nations. Yeah, I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I watched the Autumn Nations as well last year as well. But uh, yeah, brilliant. Bring it on, uh, Wales. Yeah. Defend. excellent easily 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 absolutely yeah okay now this is probably a bit more up your street then um 
what tool do you find the most useful or you could not do without? Oh, crumbs. That's a difficult one. Um, oh, actually, my uh, pen knife. Pen knife. Yeah. yeah, it's just so useful for a multitude of things while I'm on site. And uh, a long time ago, I marked along the handle. Um, uh, what's the right word? Uh, centimeter spacings along the handle. Yeah. So that if I'm taking a photograph of something, I can put my knife in the photograph and I've got an idea of scale when I come back to it. Wow. That's, that is a proper multitasking tool. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I think I've actually been seeing one of your videos with you when you're using that pen knife. Um, so I think we were making a, a walking stick, a little Y-notched um, walking stick. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's the one and the same. There we knife. go. Yeah. See, I do, I do, I do my research. I, I do watch the videos you're in. <laughs> Very good. Thank you. <laughs> and finally, okay, fifth question. And finally, what one thing would you like or want to achieve in 2022? I, uh, I know we're in sort of in the latter, latter part of January, you know, maybe not a New Year's resolution, but, you know, what one thing would you like to achieve in 2022? Uh, I'm going for my... M Arbor A. There was some masters, um, master of. I forgot what the correct designation is now. Um, but basically, going up a rank in my professional membership with the Arboriculture Association. Oh right, okay. So it's it's uh, it's something I've been meaning to do for a while, and uh, like many of us, it's a case of sitting down and and logging those CPD points and. Um, extracting reports that you've done and building that evidence body to say yes, I am as good as I say I am, and you should give me that accreditation, please. Okay. Well, good luck with that. I mean, yeah, in Thank fact, you. we might, might even, well, I'm sure we're going to delve into that, actually, so I'll, I'll make a note of that to come back to in a second. Um, but before we do that, um, yeah, thank you for that. That's the end of the questions. I'll, I'll post the results back to you um, after the end of this then, Neil. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> so um, just for... Um, myself really and for our uh, listeners as well could you outline sort of your career to date up until the time you were working for TR33 if that's all right sure yeah yeah so uh, I, I took a different path to all of my friends uh, when I was at school uh, going right back to the beginning I was on uh, I went and did an apprenticeship rather than a, a degree a lot of my friends went on to degrees uh, so I had my apprenticeship with the National Trust. I was based uh, just outside High Wycombe at a place called uh, Hewingdon Manor, mm -hmm. which is a beautiful site. It's uh, Benjamin Disraeli's house. Uh, and there I learned about uh, landscapes and ecosystems and woodland management. Uh, unfortunately, at the end of that, there wasn't a job for me. So I came home to South Wales where I worked. Uh, I was self-employed uh, doing primary thinnings in forestry. I worked for a utility arboriculture company. And then from there, went to Newport City Council's tree team and went from a groundsman to a climber to lead climber. Uh, from there to a countryside ranger at Caffili Council, so a neighboring council, went there and was managing Park Penalta, which has elements of large forestry. It has ancient woodland, it has some wetlands. Um, quite a, a nice mixed site for such a small site. There was a lot going on. Then from there to tree officer for Caffili Council. And then from there, I went to WSP UK and uh, I started their 
arboriculture and forestry team. I was there for nine years and grew it from just myself up to nine people and then left WSP mm-hmm. just a shade under 12 months ago to come and join TR33. Great. So, yeah. So yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to actually take you right back to the start of that conversation then. So, you know, you mentioned that you took a different route to your friends uh, being you know, going on an apprenticeship. Um, and while I imagine that you said the others went to university, um, why was that? What, what um, you know, did you see? Was it was university not an option to you, or was it something that actually you know you thought? You know what? I I I want to go down a different route because my skills lie elsewhere. I, how, why did you go for apprenticeship rather than actually a degree? Yeah, well, um, my parents were very supportive. That they you know basically said, as long as you're happy and you you know you're healthy and you're not causing any harm, you can do what you want. So yeah, university was available. Um, but I, it just didn't seem right for me. It didn't feel like the right kind of fit. I, I wasn't that academic at school. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd already been doing some sort of estate work at a local mansion house. I was doing uh, grounds maintenance basically there. So I'd got a taste for working with my hands and being out in the, in the elements. And then uh, I met a chap at a gardener's question time i'm painting myself as a complete geek now i don't know many <laughs> 14 or 15 year olds that go along to gardener's question time but i did and um there was a chap there from the national trust who said uh well come along and see me at siren sister and i'll tell you about our um apprenticeship scheme yeah. uh, and that was it i was sold i i applied for all eight uh countryside management uh posts that were vacant across the whole of the uk and I was lucky enough to get the one at um, Hewingdon Manor. Right. So it, it, yeah. it was just more of a fit for me at the time. You know, yeah. I, had, I, I was I was more practically minded than academically minded at the time. And where does that come from? Would you know? Is it um, you know? Obviously, we won't go into too much detail. But is it, it something that's um, you know you you were sort of um, you know raised in a family that was very much outdoorsy, or was it something that um, you know that you sort of took on yourself? You know, to actually go and you know do a lot more outdoor activities than any of your um you know friends uh yeah i, I guess it stems from a granddad uh, he and i used to earn a, a few pounds here and there um looking after gardens and cleaning up allotments that kind of thing and uh yeah no, nobody else in my family has really got an outside job they've all got relatively normal for want of a better word jobs <laughs> so um yeah, I, I, not normal is that, is that, is that, <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah I, I i blame my granddad yeah it, yeah. it came from him and um yeah he, he's he's very passionate about nature and i think it just rubbed mm-hmm. off and uh yeah after meeting another very passionate chap i'm struggling to remember his name now from the national trust they're so enthusiastic and so generous about sharing the knowledge i thought yeah i i, I want to be a part of that Right. I think it is. I think, you know, you meet some inspirational people along your way, don't you? And they sort of, you know, it's not, you know, it's not your parents. It's not, it's not like someone, you know, who's with you, you know, a large part of your life. All of a sudden it may take sort of a stranger to come along into your life and make a statement that resonates with you. And that takes you into, into a different direction or confirms or, you know, re reconfirms something that's, that's already probably part of your psyche. I, I, I you know, that's certainly happened yeah. with myself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Richard? What, what was your sort of spark to flame for for ecology? Oh, blimey! Oh, well, a question to me. Uh, that's um, 
a bit like yourself. I mean, I was not very, I mean, I'm, I'm casting you as if you're not very academic, but uh, I certainly wasn't. Yeah, I, I like school, but I was just not very good at it um, in terms of the academic side of things. And so I sort of took a long route uh, into, well, I'd say ecology, um, but it wasn't even on my radar. I think I knew the word ecology when I was maybe 14, 15, but I have no idea what jobs were available there. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even on radar at all. Um, but yeah, after a very long, you know, I'm going to cut this short, but six years in the military, um, uh, well, B&Q trainee, uh, <laughs> apprentice, there we go. It was like, a, it wasn't the YTS scheme. It was like the B&Q trainee scheme, which is, I think I earned about an extra 30p an hour compared to the YTS <laughs> scheme there. But yeah, then, then it was just yeah went back to university and I think that was it then it's it's people around you I think I got inspired by the people around me um those discussions that were had and um that sort of sparked me to go into ecology there you go so that's that that's a short answer to that question oh, thank you for asking <laughs> good show um okay so moving on so you also then let's say you went to a uh, national trust um now, what, what's, uh, when did you start to gain these qualifications? So you went from National Trust to, I mean, I, I don't know the time scale scales here, but then with, to Newport with as a tree, um, is it tree officer, you say there? Tree, lead tree? Uh, no, initially as a, a groundsman, just on, on the tree gang. Mm -hmm. I say just on the tree gang. They're, they're very highly trained, capable folk. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I got uh, most of my practical qualifications I got with the National Trust. They were very good. But then when it came to um, things like chippers and tree surgery qualifications, aerial rescue, that kind of stuff, I got those through Newport City Council. Yeah. And then when I moved over to being a tree officer with Caerphilly Council, uh, I went, well, I say I went back to college, uh, but basically uh, there's an organization called uh, Tree Life who at the time were running a thing called the Technician Certificate in Arboriculture. Mm -hmm. I think these days it's called a... QCF level four um, and that was based over at Western Bit Arboretum so oh, I, I went there for mm. um, one day a week and uh, home studied for the rest of it and gained that qualified the Arb Association Technician Certificate in Arboriculture it's a bit of a mouthful it is a bit or as I say yeah level four as it's called now <laughs> um, yeah so I got I was awarded that in 2008 and then from there onwards, um, uh, in, internal training really. So a, a lot of what I got from Kafili was around um, dealing with people, dealing with systems, and the, the sort of back office kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I moved on to WSP from there, which were again very generous with their training. You know, they they, they converted me from being a, a tree officer into a consultant, basically. Yeah, and and that you mentioned. So did you? did you actually um assist or actually lead on the, i say the development of that team so was there an arb team there before um, the, um your arrival there was a lady there who uh, was excellent lucy she did arb uh, and she i'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying that she's not an arb um she, she had a whole bunch of other strings to her bow she was an environmental professional um she did a lot of environmental management stuff but wasn't yeah. strictly speaking an arb um so yeah, but, uh, when I turned up, I took all of the tree work off her, basically, uh, and yes, yeah, I grew it from just me uh, to to the nine folk that were there pre-COVID. So um, 
yeah, there's quite, quite a steep learning curve there. Uh, yeah, so you said steep learning curve. So how, yeah, in, in terms of the strategies, how you did that, I mean, obviously supportive team, supportive um, employer um, and, and department that, but, um, you know, what what was the, your, I mean, how did you go about recruiting that team? Was it something like we need five people, two people, or just need one more person and then we'll, we'll take it from there? I mean, how, how was the, how did you form that strategy to, to, to develop your team? But, um we were lucky in, in, in the early years. We, we had large existing contracts with people like Balfour BT and National Grid. Um, so there, there was a lot of work, more or less, on tap. So it was a case of keeping up with that um, scoping work that came through to us to ask if we, if we could provide it. Mm-hmm. And the most difficult recruitment, actually, was going from just one to two people because all of a sudden you're not just finding work to feed yourself and manage yourself and produce yourself. You've then got to find work you know you're doubling your workforce overnight uh, and then having to do find the work do the work provide the work uh, but then also um, feed work to your your second person and make sure your second person has got everything they need and do the review of the second person as well so i think that was the trickiest bit mm. and then luckily my second person uh john michener who i'm working with now uh he's just an absolute star so more or less between us we we grew the team from there upwards organically you know as as work came to us we 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 used to take some very careful decisions about what to go for and what not to go for and and i think that's key i I think you've really got to go careful to to not just bid on every piece of work or chase every piece of work that comes your way it's we found it hugely valuable to say right stop a minute you know what is this what what are they asking for um and the fundamental questions are, you know, can we do it? Have we got the capabilities and the skills? Um, do we want to do it? You know, is this client somebody we can tie our wagon to? Have they, have they got similar ethics to us? Have they got similar beliefs to us? Uh, is it in an area that we want to be involved with? And then finally, should we do it? You know, is this piece of work going to jeopardize other work that we've got going on? You know, is it just going to be too much? Will we be overstretched? And I think using those three stop gates, as it were, uh, re- really helped us to to grow the team organically. Thank you. And, and I suppose, I mean, if, if, if I can add a fourth one in there, I think I think it's also, is it going to be of value, invaluable, you know, as in profitable as well? So, so you know, we... Oh, you know, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure, that, you know, it's one of those things that you can take for granted. It has to be profitable, <laughs> you know? Yeah, to, so, but, you know, it's one of the... Yeah, I mean, it's... A, in... in you know environmental consultancy i mean we're getting better at it i'm sure but um it's you know money seemed to be a dirty word well we need to do this because we're we're doing a good job for the you know for people on the planet you know but also companies do need to exist they need to do need to make a profit and i think some people really you know have that slight fear of money uh, as in uh, or asking for asking for money we know that value that profit but um you know without it we can't employ anyone. We can't employ that second person, that third person, and, and so forth. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it is a, a terribly British thing, isn't it? That um, we don't like to talk about money or ask for money or say, oh, excuse me, you've got to pay for that. We've just provided that service. But um, you're 100% right. With, without that profit margin yeah. and the, the sort of working capital in the business, you can't reinvest in the business. You can't provide additional training or improve your equipment or improve your work environment or you know, uh, give people a, a special treat. You know, if you've had a, a kill a month or a kill a year or you've been out doing dawn and dusk surveys for goodness knows how long, it, it's quite nice to be 
to have a bit of money to say, here are guys, I'm going to take you all out for a pie and a pint or yeah. you know, here's what, whatever it is. I, I think it's important to, to give back. Absolutely, you know, exactly, and I think it's, um, you know, I think we can, there's a lot, of, um, that, that's, I think we'll save that as, as, as a podcast in itself, really, about um, about profitability, so we're, so it's something that's, um, yeah, sure. I'm sure we're all are working towards as as, uh, as owners anyway, but go, go back to your skills then, so you mentioned about, obviously, the practical qualifications, so, I mean, for a, a layperson like myself then, uh, Neil, what sort of skills does it take, or do you need to be an arborist. So what does an arborist do and what's, what skills do you need to, be, to become one? Okay, so for um, Arb Consultancy, we we assess trees uh, based on their their structure. So as a, as a structure, I suppose, I was trying to find a simpler way to do it, but yes, a, a structure. So um, we look at um, have they got cracks or splits or hollows in them? Have they got bits hanging off? Are they unstable in any way? Um, what's their relationship to surrounding things like buildings and other trees or uh, power lines, for example. And we also look at them uh, in terms of a living organism. You know, are, are they healthy? Do they have vitality? What stage of life are they at? How are they responding to the effects of pests or disease? Yeah. So to allow us to be able to do that comprehensively and uh, robustly, we need a, a good knowledge of uh, biology of the tree. We need a good species knowledge because uh, tree species have different characteristics. Some are denser than others. Some have a, a live fast, die young, for want of better words, uh, strategy so that they, they grow tall and, and quickly and they're maybe not quite as robust as a structure as something that grows more slowly and uh, yeah, more, more robustly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, species knowledge, um, biology knowledge helps to have a, a little bit of engineering knowledge as well, just so, you know, what you can understand if something's going to fall over or not. You know, you don't have to be a, a mechanical engineer or a physicist. You just need to understand that that's a really long branch with a lot of weight on the end of it. It's going to want to fall off, that kind of thing, at the most basic level. So that really helps. Um, I think a huge quality is being a, having a, a good sense of logic. Um, that if, if, for example, there's a pathogen acting on the tree and the pathogen seems to be advancing more than the tree is putting on leaf, for example, logic would say, well, the pathogen is, is out competing the tree, so therefore the tree is going to be in, in decline. Um, so that, that kind of good, robust logic is, is hugely valuable. So yeah. I think if, if you've got a good starting in those things, so... Um, Structural knowledge, biological knowledge, species knowledge, and good logic—you'll you'll go a long way. So, in terms of, I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at right at the, you know, sort of entry level here. So, an entry level arb, then, yeah, I mean, is it something that you need like GCSEs in at all, or is, you don't? Oh, need sure. Education, you do, you do, yeah, yeah. Um, they would help definitely. Uh, I, I think if you've spent your, some of your career working in the environment in some way, um. That, that would help a lot, but um, no, you, you you don't need GCSEs to, to be an entry level. Um, they, they help as, as they always will, you know, having uh, a good grasp of English and maths and science is, is always valuable. But there's there's a quali qualification called a um, professional tree inspectors course, which is, uh, I think it's a week long course with an exam at the end of it. And that will give you a minimal qualification to, to go out and assess trees. Yeah. 
but it should be said to get to that point you, you do need to be out and about and doing some self-learning or self-teaching along the way mm. i see so, yeah. is, so is that's where you know you, you know logic you know it's, it's a passion for them or we say we say we're passion but really just an interest really in obviously um all things tree-like yes yeah and, and an appetite for it i mean i i still don't hold a degree now you know i um i try to get one along um while working and raising a family um I was accepted onto a master's course, but unfortunately, due to work and family, that that hasn't been completed. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't, I don't believe you need a degree to be a successful environmental consultant, and certainly not an arboriculture consultant. Um, it it helps later in life, and when it comes back to circling back to the commercial aspect, uh, there's some organisations where you would earn more if you've got a degree, but there, there's plenty of other organizations that, that don't put as much weight on having a degree. Oh, I, you know, it, it is. I think there's, a, you know, as you say, I don't think you need a degree. You know, it's, certainly as an ecologist, I mean, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot, but you know, don't need a degree to lift a reptile sheet over, for instance, or, uh, you know, stand outside a building and, and listen to white noise um, for a bit. Um, but uh, but but as you said, rightly say, that's um, I think the, there are other traits, skills that are required. But um, when it comes to the consultancy side, I think that's the other skills that we sort of overlook that. Yeah, we've got the practical skills of um, species ID, you know, the ecology um, of, 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 of trees and, um, and, and other species as well. But then it's also communication skills. And I think that's the Absolutely. sort of thing, yeah, that I think we, you know, we sort of um, should edge. Well, I think we do, you know, we, we sort of look for within candidates too, whether they be an arborist or whether they be uh, an ecologist. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It, it's, it's, it's a curious trait of, of sort of boffins. I've met some incredibly intelligent professionals, fortunately enough over my career. And, and you can see these people that, that know a vast amount about their subject, but they, they may not be very eloquent in getting their point across. So, it, uh, it, and the, conversely, there's people that will talk all day about something, but uh, to be blunt about it, they can be all for a coat and no knickers. So, yeah. uh, you, you have to yeah. just write that down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have to find a, a healthy common ground somewhere to, to be. Yes. to be knowledgeable and be robust in your subject so that if you are challenged uh, when you're a consultant on something, you've got the, the wherewithal to, to answer concisely uh, and support your position. Good stuff. Okay, then. Great. Well, uh, moving on then um, to what you do now then. So now you are, you know, as you say, you're, you're working for, you know, you moved away from WSP to now um, head up um, T. I say head up. You are heading up TR thirty three, or is certainly a, an integral part of TR thirty three. There, so perhaps t- tell us a little bit about um, your company and what you do and your role within it. Sure. Your team. Sure. So yeah, I I, I don't head it up. Um, I'd I'd get shot for claiming that mantle just yet. <laughs> um, so a bit, basically, there's there's three elements as, as you said in the introduction. There, there's a tree surgery element, which is led by David O'Brien. And that was really the founding uh, element of the business. Uh, So we do all elements of tree surgery uh, uh, from simple trimming a hedge in a back garden to this week, the guys are taking down some extremely large pines for one of our clients, which a very complicated job involving uh, rigging and a bunch of different types of machinery to extract the material out from where it is. 
Then we have the grounds maintenance element, which tends to focus on commercial aspects of grounds maintenance. So they do things like um, schools, retail parks, uh, industrial estates. Uh, I think they even do an airport somewhere. So a larger scale grounds maintenance, not Mrs. Smith's garden down the road. Uh, and commercial then than domestic then. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, and then there's there's my, my corner, which is consultancy. So there's there's four of us in the consultancy team. There's two full-time people, myself and John Michener. And then there's two part-time people, uh, Richard and Pete. And the majority of our work focuses in, around doing tree condition surveys. Uh, some people call them tree hazard surveys or tree safety surveys. Uh, but we also do uh, provide surveys and reports to support planning, planning applications, so um, mm. trees in relation to development. Um, it, we, we collaborate with your good selves, of course. So when people come to us for uh, ecology matters, we pass them your way. Um, so, yeah, that's us in a nutshell, really. Um, and what's the size my, of the... Oh, go on, go sorry. On. No, I say well, uh, whereabouts are. I mean, we mentioned TR thirty three, but um, you know, I know where you where you're based. But um, so where where about you're based, and sort of the size of your team as well. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. So we're based uh, just outside uh, Cardiff, near St Mallons in, in South Wales. Uh, there's between fifty and sixty of us, including office staff and support staff. Um, we tend to operate throughout South Wales and uh, across to Bristol, Avonmouth area occasionally um, for grounds maintenance and tree work. But when it comes to consultancy work, we'll go, um, we will work nationally as long as it makes financial sense for us and for the client, of course. You know, yeah. um, if, if we're going to cost them three times as much to travel up to Scotland, we'll be honest about it and just say, you know, we'll, we'll pass you on to somebody that we know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, and we mentioned, I mean, I may be jumping a little bit here, but uh, obviously, you know, with a, with a team, did you say 50 to 60 people? In total, yes. Yeah. So, with, you know, that's a, that's, 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 a, that's a good sized team. You know, I suppose it was classed as, a, I don't know, medium to large um, consultancy, um, sort of, sort of not consultancy, um, sort of um, company there. So, uh, yep. uh, so with, with that amount of people there, you know, what sort of qualities? I mean, what's your culture like then? So, you know, we, we, we talk about culture, uh, company culture, but, um, uh, you know, obviously you enjoy working where you are. And what, what keeps you there? It's, it's really, quirky's not the right word. It's, it's really individual compared to other places that I've worked. So a, a local authority, you've got a, a lot of really good committed people that are very professional um, and, and good fun, good interested folk. And then working for very large consultancies like WSP, they're, they're very professional and very serious and it's very corporation type feel. Uh, and then at TR33, we've got a healthy mixture you know, in the office and when it comes to being professional and serious, they're, they're amongst the most professional people I've ever worked with. They're, they're just an outstanding bunch. Mm -hmm. But also because it's uh, it's got a very much a family feel about it because the, 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 there's daughters, sons, brothers, cousins, son-in-laws, all involved in the business. Yeah. Um, there's a good amount of banter as well. You, know, you, you can be quite blunt with people sometimes. It's, it's interesting to hear phone calls in the office because uh, somebody in the office will be talking with a client or a stakeholder and being very accurate and concise and prof professional and then put the phone down and turn around and give their, their colleague a, you know, a good bit of, I can't repeat it here perhaps, but um, <laughs> so there's a good it's bit of It's an adult show, on. but yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and, and that, that means a lot to me that, that people yeah. are, 
are afforded the 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 space and the freedom to be to be themselves at work um and we have the dogs there as well so I, I take my dog with me and and the boss he brings his dog with him and and that makes a big difference it, it's it's a very welcoming sharing culture there which, which i'm very supportive as well that the guys really help each other out it, it's it's fantastic oh good stuff good stuff okay and um i i know we're conscious of time now um so i just just moving on then from um you know what you do now with tr33 so you know looking at some i mean you, you mentioned then you know, obviously this year you're trying to do your master, masters of arb arb uh, m arb was it that's, that's yeah it? yeah m arb yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, so you know, in terms of that, I mean, what level do you need to be to uh, obtain that? I mean, I, and what sort of a knowledge level is it? Something that, um, you know, I, I mean, I'm sure there's no definitive timeline, but say you're entry level into ARB and then you're moving progress, you know, progressing through the, the training and developments and so forth. I mean, when what sort of qualif what sort of qualifications do you aim for? Is it is it is like after three years, five years, ten years, you towards the master of ARB? With, uh, you're absolutely right. It, it, there's no one set answer. Mm -hmm. It depends on the individual individual entirely. And the the, the ARB Association have recognised that there's no particular one route through. Um, the development so that there's a, an opportunity for people with a more academic backgrounds so there, there's a, a an appraisal route that would look at your degree and your recent experience and then there's the route that I'm taking which looks at a longer period of your ex experience and uh, requires you to submit a portfolio of, of evidence as it were so um, I think a good piece of advice would be to folk going for it is to try and get some diversification in your experience you know if you're always doing um if you're always doing a, a tree hazard assessment for housing sites yeah. try and get out and do some development surveys or if you're always doing and i'm writing tree work specifications try and get involved in some of the auditing stuff try, try and broaden your horizon a bit um, that that's what the accreditors are looking for really so i i think I know some people that would go for um, chartered status and very good people that would go for it within sort of certainly five to six years of graduating and, and all credit to them. There are people there that can do it and I'm sure will be successful of it. Uh, I, I'm I'm a bit more old fashioned, rightly or wrongly, that I, I think you need to have a bit more time served under your belt before you can really become um, chartered or get to MRBRA. Mm. So I, I think I mean, I've, I've been slow with it as well because I've been busy working and raising a family. But um, I, I, I think pos possibly after six to ten years in the industry, you could you could achieve that level. Uh, but it, it's all, as we said before, it's all about appetite and passion. It, it, if you're in an arboriculture position just to do the job, do your nine to five, collect your pay, and get home, then that's fine. You know, there's people out there that do that, and not detracting from them at all. Um, you can do that. But if you're passionate and you have a, a thirst for it, then the sky's the limit, really. Okay, great. So good stuff. Yeah, I think that, that's you know, uh, as you say, you know, there, there's no defined route with that. So in terms of collaborations, then, so uh, you know, you mentioned about um, briefly touched upon about ecologists there, but um, so you know, collaborative work then in terms of you know crossover sectors uh we're not sectors just even industry industries really so you know you work alongside ecologists but i imagine you work alongside other disciplines too 
Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, it's one of the things I've been trying to to get under our belt here at TR33 in my, my first year was that um, to get the co collaboration going with you guys, because obviously trees and woodland fit hand in glove with many aspects of arboriculture, of ecology, mm. which obviously is quite a broad church in itself. Um, but we're also collaborating with um, Sarah Dodd, who is a specialist in tree and woodland law. So she helps us out with um, cases around uh, subsidence or damage claims or uh, breach of TPO, that kind of uh, tree preservation order, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, we have another chap, Ian, who is uh, an engineer and a soils professional. So we collaborate with him when people come to us for subsidence reports. Ian does the, the soils and the, the structural elements of it, and we provide the tree elements. And then we uh, we touched base with a former colleague of mine in landscape architecture, uh, who again is, is another overlap between the three of us, really, Richard. So yeah, um, yeah it's a, another allied discipline. And and the idea is that I don't believe you have to be one of these big mega corporations with everything in it and, and be that one-stop shop. That I think there's enough work out there, and there's enough professionals out there where we can share it around a bit. You know that and there's a lot to be gained from collaborating with each other and learning from each other and, and sharing expertise on a on a broad spectrum rather than doing it all within one house oh absolutely yeah no i think collaboration is sort of the way i mean it's one of our values you know collaboration over competition uh, really so uh, you know I, I i can totally see that um you know you reaching out to other people as you know, sarah and then these landscape architecture and so forth and subsidence it really does add value to your clients i think that's the that's the sort of you know the reasons one of the reasons why we do it isn't it really that's um that you know the, the, there are additional benefits to um multiple people so we're including your clients definitely definitely yeah. and, and it it's really liberating to say look i I just don't know the answer to that or mm. that's not my area of expertise and sharing it with others and not being afraid of that those other people are going to suddenly swoop in and steal the show and take all the money because uh, you pick the right people to collaborate with then it is a, a true collaboration it's not about us or them or out competing it's about a, a shared experience yeah yeah absolutely great um okay well wrapping up then so um i think we um you've been more than generous of your time. So I just wanted to ask you a question regarding careers advice. Now, I think I always put this, what's the best piece of career advice either you've been given yourself or, or even conversely, the worst piece of career advice you've been given or uh, along your journey or equally so, um, what advice would you give someone? It could be yourself. Imagine looking back, you know, you know, uh, I'd be generous. Twenty years, uh, <laughs> and, uh, looking at a, a young Neil starting out on their career as an as an arbor, uh, uh, you know, arboriculturist. So, um, what's the best or worst career advice, or what, what sort of um, advice would you give yourself? I think, I think that the the best advice that I could offer either a younger me or, or other people coming into the industry is, is don't be afraid of mistakes. Uh, it, it, it's how we learn and how we improve. And don't be afraid of negative feedback either. O always ask for feedback. Um, my, my character is that I, I, I need a bit of feedback anyway to, to just, that's just the way I'm wired. I need people to say, good job, Neil, well done. Or come back and say, oh, Neil, you did that thing by there. Would you mind not doing that again? Or could you just tweak this? 
so yeah don't be afraid to make mistakes and don't be afraid of negative feedback that is such a fantastic learning opportunity and then the, the next the next piece i would say is don't expect to be spoon fed it won't come to you you've got to go out and get it um when it comes to if you're in an organization that has them when it comes to like performance reviews or development reviews or whatever they're called in your organization do your prep get yourself sorted about what you want from the from your career um, and what you're willing to give to to that career and the organization you're working for I, I think that's hugely important to do your prep get ready have that open conversation with your line manager or your boss or whoever it is when you're having those review meetings um i've i've got a lot out of those meetings by having open and frank conversations and saying look this is what i want this is where i'm going this is what i'm willing to give to get there and um more times than not it's been met with a positive reaction great no i think those those are two uh, a fantastic you know, little golden nuggets there really i think that you know going back to the first point um yeah i i, I think you know i think we, we yeah we we've we like being told we're doing a good job yet sometimes we don't like being told we're not doing so well but and it's perceived as a, as a failure but really, you know, I suppose you turn those failures into opportunities. Actually, it's an opportunity to learn about, you know, whatever you your perceived failure. Because it it's the task that you you're not a failure. It's the it's it's the task or the the, the the journey you're on that sort of needs to be changed rather than actually yourself. And maybe maybe, maybe you know you need to learn something a bit more in a bit more depth but itself. But um, yeah, I think it's just turning that turning that around rather than rather than it's a failure. You know, but you're being criticised, as in they want the best out of you. So I, I really like that point, and um, yeah, and certainly about the appraisals, it, it sort of ties in really. That's um, that open nature, and I think this is when we're back about the culture of your company. Um, that you know, that, that open openness, that you know, is a willingness to provide honest feedback. Doesn't have to be harsh. Doesn't have to be crit- you know, highly of course, critical. Yeah. But it's it's there to ensure that um, you, know, you do better tomorrow than you have done today, and also as a person that they improve just just by you know that incremental margin. You know, just if you can improve by one percent every year, that's fantastic. You know, rather than looking at how can I massively improve. So those are great little great little nuggets there. Thank you, Neil. Good, good, and, and remember the door swings both ways as well. You know, I've. I've been in appraisals with my superiors and they, they've said, oh, you know, could you just change this? But don't be afraid to say to your superior, well, you know, could, could you slightly change the way you do that as well? And that would help me do this. And I, I've had people that report to me say the same thing. And, and yeah, that open nature of just mm-hmm. tweaking things to make it easier for everybody else. Because as much as I love my industry, it, it is work at the end of the day. You know, if I win the lottery tomorrow, um, Dave will have a phone call from me <laughs> saying, <laughs> I'll be into work. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, make it as enjoyable and um, peaceful as you can. That's wonderful. Well, great. Thank you so much. So, I mean, uh, finally, so um, please mention about, um, you know, where can we get, um, you know, can see your videos? I mean, you, you, you on what sort of platforms you on and uh, also your web address for your company and um, um, and what, sure. what we got planned for this coming, well, next few months or year then, Neil? Okay, so... Uh, we're on YouTube at TR33Life. You can find us there. Um, there's a mixture of things on there. Some of it is uh, fairly serious, talking about fungi and how to identify them. And some of it is just a bit of fun, you know, how to make uh, mud faces with your kids, that kind of thing. Um, 
I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me under my name on LinkedIn. Uh, the company's also on, we're on uh, Instagram and on Facebook. You just search TR33 Limited, you'll find us there. Our website is www.tr33.co.uk. Um, the website is having a refresh at the moment, so so bear with us if you go on there and it looks a bit out of date or bits of it aren't working. But So, um, yeah, bear with us for now. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. So, um, that, that, the I say thank you so much for your time today, Neil. And um, also thank you for joining me on the Ecology Academy podcast. No worries. Thank you for having me. If you enjoy our show and want to help, then please click on the subscribe button and rate us on your favourite podcast player. As that's how you can inspire ecologists in the making, help retain great talent and provide insights of our industry to a much wider audience of why ecology really does matter. Thank you. And remember, learning is a lifelong endeavour, so stay curious, be adventurous and build bridges for others to cross.